0: I'm safe, okay, nothing
1: can touch me. Why do I feel this body's over? No babe. inside your protection. But How do I feel this good sober?
0: Welcome to uh, Sober Talk. Uh, I'm Dennis, uh, and I have uh, lived the experience of an alcoholic. If you know of anyone is struggling with alcohol, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 or, or check out the website aa.org.au. And I'll just do the preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strengthen and hope with each other that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. We are no dues or fees free membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. A is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics or organisation. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety.
1: Hello, my name is Andy and I'm a recovering alcoholic, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous based in Adelaide in South Australia. Um, I have a home group, um, a a meeting that I go to every week and that is called the Road to Recovery Group. And that is at St. Saviour's Church Hall in Glen Osmond on Portrush Road. And um, basically I've, I've been asked to share what we call in Alcoholics Anonymous, my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, experience being uh, my experience with active drinking, um, active alcoholism, and my strength, the strength that got me into Alcoholics Anonymous and the hope that I was given and the hope that I'm given today that I can live a life comfortably sober. Um, never, never did I set out to be an alcoholic, it wasn't on my list of things to do when I left school. And um, I understand more about alcoholism now through my experience in, in AA. I've been a member of AA now for 21 years. So I've got a, a fair bit of experience around the illness. And a lot of things that I've learned in these 20 years, I just would never have known or never have met anybody before I stopped drinking who would have explained it to me. But basically, we we talk about the isms of alcoholism and you know, I realised that my isms went back to a very young age way way before I picked up a drink I used to um, I was dishonest I used to steal things and I only did that for the effect I like the effect that it produced it made me feel good I, had a, I got a buzz out of it and um, you know, my earliest recollection and again this is all stuff that I've learnt since i been in AA, and it's poignant to this time of year. Was, um, you was, know, at around the age of eight years old, I remember being at my grandmother's house and she uh, kindly let me have one of the adult chocolates off the Christmas tree that held, I think it was either whiskey or brandy or some sort of cognac. And um, as a treat. She said, well, you can have one of the adult ones and so I had this chocolate and, um, and I really enjoyed it. And it, you know, I didn't drink anything else after that, but I, when we talk about the effect produced by alcohol a year later, I remember being at my grandmother's house and I've got this obsession with the adult chocolates on the tree. I'm looking at them and I want one and she's not going to offer me one cause I had one last year. And, uh, so, you know, I waited for them all to out in the room and I took, I took my own, uh, chocolate off the tree that had alcohol in it and I, and I enjoyed it. So, um, You know, it goes way, way back. My first alcoholic drink, as we call it, was around the age of 14. And it's not uncommon for people in Alcoholics Anonymous to take their first alcoholic drink around then. Something about that sort of age. And um, and I drank and drank and drank for an evening. And I ended up in a crumpled heap on the floor. And people around me were saying things like, is he still alive? And should we call an ambulance? And... You know, we call his parents, and I could hear people crying, and I could hear this stuff going on around me, but I just couldn't read. I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't speak. I was in a comatose state at the age of 14. And um, at the age of 34, I remember, before I came to college, college, I was in the same state. in My local nightlife area on the pavement laid out, and I could hear the same things being mentioned around me, and um, nothing changed. You know, I... I stayed under the influence of alcohol for 20 years. And that doesn't mean that I was a down-and-out bum or sleeping on park benches or anything. I I had a pretty good life. But under the influence of alcohol, to me, is I'm drinking. So I'm drinking, taking a drink, pouring it down my throat. I'm thinking about it. Or I'm in a blackout and I, I don't know what I'm doing. And there's some states there that, you were, that I was in for 20 years. And, yeah, you know, the best part of it, it was fun. It was a great great thing to do. I enjoyed it. It lit me up. I, I describe it that at the age of 14, I was a black and white TV. And when I found alcohol, I turned into a color TV because it added color to my life and um, enabled me to speak to people. Yeah, a lot of people, you yeah, know, people in alcoholics, when say, say, um, particularly the males, you know, drinking allowed me to speak to women. I was one of those for, for many years, but then after a while, I realised that yeah, alcohol allowed me to speak to anybody. Um, so I was able to have some conversations with my parents and, and, and people, friends and family. I was able to speak to them better when I was under the influence of alcohol, and um And like I said, none of this really bothered me, and it it didn't really affect anybody else. And it's, yeah, I describe it sometimes like the wheel of fortune. At the age of fifteen, you spun the wheel, and um, you know I passed my driving test, and spun the wheel again, and I ripped my car off the next day. And I was, oh God, that's not a very good one. But there was some good stuff on the wheel. You spin the wheel, you get a girlfriend. You spin the wheel, you get a job, and you earn some good money. Or you, you. you have a fight with someone and you win. It's all good stuff. Um, but at the end of my drinking, there's nothing good left on the wheel. It's all bad stuff. You wake up in hospital. Wake up in prison cell. Lose your wife. Parents not speaking to you. Um, lose your money. Um, you know, feel rather unwell, rather sick. And so, drinking for me um, deteriorated over many years. And you know, for me, I went into much amazing. Traveled around the world, had a great life, and um, and drank, in some wonderful places. And you know, I'm one of these people. I saw the pyramids, but there was more than just the pyramids that were there. There was, there was double vision. A lot of places I went and seen things with double vision, and um, no real memory of where I went. And you now I left that career because I didn't want to end up an alcoholic. Well, I mean, that's that's why I left. And you know, I got married, had a child. And thought I'd settled down, but I hadn't, and I was still ruled by alcohol and other substances. And um, yeah, my wife left eventually. And (laughs) when we in AA, we talk about um, not being able to bring into your thinking the sufficient force, the suffering and consequence of the preceding drink, which means we've got a mental block when it comes to. Shall I have a drink or shall I not? Um, yeah, Really, I shouldn't have a drink because my wife said to me, if you keep drinking, I'm going to leave. So I shouldn't be drinking, but I can't help myself. And I can't bring in to my thinking those words that she gave me, saying, if you don't stop drinking, I'm leaving you. So, and I would pick up a drink and uh, carry on and manipulate and lie and be deceitful, and uh, eventually she left. We took my son with her and, um, and I thought, I'll show her I can stop drinking, but, but I could not And yeah, my drinking got worse, but it, it didn't affect me. I wasn't affected mentally by it. Um, it was a great excuse. Yeah, why did you get arrested last night? Andy? I was drunk. Why did you end up in hospital while I was drunk? It was, it was a great excuse. And um, yeah, if alcoholism is a great persuader. It, it, it dissuades me that it's a good idea to chuck a brick through the window or um, steal this or be dishonest about that. And it's it's not the person that I wanted to be. And um, So on January the 2nd of 1999, I found myself on Manly Beach in Sydney and I um, was just on the start of a holiday and it all all the good reasons to have a good time and life was pretty good for me and uh, I felt like something ran over me on the beach and uh, and I was hit with this thought that um I don't want to live anymore and I said to my partner at the time I said you know, I just don't want to live anymore and she was like what what do you mean I said I'm fed up with living I've had enough um I just feel suicidal today." the day And it upset her and it upset me and we made that connection. It was the first time in my life, January 2nd, 1999, I said these words to another human being and that was, I think I'm drinking too much. And it just came out. And I made a decision to stop drinking on my return to the UK. So I did what any, what we call real alcoholic would do. I had eight weeks in Australia, so I'm going to make the most of it because this is the last session that I'm going to have with alcohol and I'm going to stop in mid-February when I get home and um, I got home to the UK and I couldn't stop. Now that's where my problems started. That's where the problems of an alcoholic in the grips of the illness is starts to deteriorate quickly. I don't want to drink. I can't drink anymore and I need to stop but I can't. And when you uh, at the age of 34, you've lived a pretty chequered life, and you've got strong willpower, and you're able to do almost anything you choose, but you just can't stop drinking. After a few days, I was climbing the walls. I was irritable, restless. I was agitated. I couldn't speak to anybody. I was annoyed by the simplest of things. And the only thing I knew to bring me back to some sort of steadiness was to take a drink and yeah i was taking drinks back then drinking loads and loads of drinks but it wasn't really doing anything to me at times it was just numbing me it was just taking away the pain that i had going on in my head and yeah i am then drinking against my will and i know it yeah i don't want to drink anymore i need to stop but i can't and i'm still drinking and i went for a daily argument within myself, shall I stop, shall I start, shall I stop, shall I start? And never once did the good Andy get his own way and that was to stop drinking. I was always, always take a drink. And I don't know the under I don't know the full understanding of what alcoholism is. I think I know what an alcoholic is, but I don't know what alcoholism is. And after a month or two of just fighting a battle within myself I mean, I would have been insane if someone said to me, Andy, are you all right? No, I'm not. I'm having an argument at the moment. I can't talk to you. I'm arguing with myself. Shall I have a drink? Shall I not? Shall I? People would think I was insane. I went to the doctors and um, you know, cried to the doctor. I'm just not happy. I all depressed. Suicidal with the doctors. As the doctor goes to write the script for me to get antidepressants, I instantly feel better to feel better about myself, and I would abuse antidepressants, other substances, but I was still drinking every day. And then I went through a phase of stop trying to give up. Just don't give up, it, it, Andy. You're going to die young. Just keep drinking, and when you die, you die. And I had that attitude for about four or five weeks, and I thought, well, at least I'm not arguing with myself anymore. But I found myself coming around in the mornings going, I'm still here. I'm still here. Why am I not dying? Well, tonight I'll just I'll just drink and take more. Why am I not dying? Why am I not dying? And on, on August the 23rd of 1999, I wrote a suicide letter. I put a noose in a rope. And I walked up the stairs of my house to take my life. I was finished. And I didn't know what was wrong with me depressed, suicidal, lonely, my life was finished. And as I walked up the stairs, I was hit with a um, a thought, a simple thought, my my poor son, he was sick, my poor son, what's he gonna do without his dad? And that thought stopped me. And active alcoholism was selfish and self-centered to the core and that behavior still carry on in your sobriety, but at that particular time, put the thought of my son before me taking my life followed very quickly with the thought what would I have done if my dad had taken his life when I was six. And that turned me around, took me down to the phone, I picked up the yellow pages, I don't know why, and I rang Alcoholics Anonymous. And the lady at the end of the phone, she took my call at half eleven at night and said Alcoholics Anonymous, how can I help you? And I said to her, I just don't want to live anymore. I've had enough. Please, can you help? And she said, yes, we're here to help you. She talked to me for about 15 minutes, and she said, that yeah, stay beside the phone. I'm going to get a male member to ring you up. And she did that. Um, a guy called Steve rang me up, and he convinced me not to take my life. He said, if you want to take your right, life, take it tomorrow night, but don't take it tonight. Because I'm going to take you to a meeting tomorrow, and there may be a place in this world sober. And he took me to my first ever Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and that was the Road to Recovery Group in Plymouth, in the UK. And um, I walked into that meeting, a trembling wreck, bloated, with a, with a stutter, cherry face, Absolutely rattled within my head a fear about what I was doing. And I I walked into that room, and the people in that room said, Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, we're here to help. They welcomed me with open open arms, and those people loved me back. They loved me back to some sort of normality in my life. They showed me the way. They'd been before me. They explained to me exactly what I needed to do. They talked to me about the nature of the illness. And this was all new to me, but at the age of 34, when someone said to me, whenever you take a drink, can you stop? And I'm like, no. They said, you suffer with the phenomenon of craving. It's one of the traits of an alcoholic and someone suffering with alcoholism. I was like, okay, well, I, I can work with that because never once in my life, Never once in 20 years did I just take a drink. It never happened. And I crashed it very quick, within a couple of meetings. Whenever I take a drink, it sets off the phenomenon of craving. And I have no control over it. No control whatsoever. I'll get arrested. I'll fight. I'll steal. I'll smash. I'll lose relationships. I want to get to alcohol after I've taken the first drink, it doesn't matter what is in my way, I will find a way to take the second drink, the third drink the fourth and the fifth and it was explained to me that it's the first drink that does the damage and I could understand that the second part of the illness that was put to me was that I'm unable to bring into my thinking with sufficient force the suffering and consequence of the preceding drink I'm still in front of a judge. He said, Andrew, you come before me again and I'm going to put you away for a long time. You need to stop your drinking. to stop me messing around. I don't want to see you again. And I walk out of that court and I walk into the nearest pub and I take a drink. It off the phenomenon of craving. And that evening, I'm getting in trouble again for the same stuff that I've been to court for in the morning. I can't... There's, there's a mental block... Okay, and, and you make that connection between taking a drink and getting arrested. I can't see that because the thought of a drink is so powerful to me. It's explained to me in AA that um, you know, there's, a, there's a process. There's a process with an alcoholic, um, it's typical in me, that I'm hit with a thought and I can still get the thought today after 20, 22 years, the thought. That's all it is, the thought of a drink. The Thought, for me, for 20 years, always led to me making a decision. But there's a process in between the thought and the decision where my mind is playing games and I like, have a drink, don't have a drink, you don't need to go out tonight, you don't need to go to work, you know, it's your dad's birthday, you don't need to go for the meal, you should go for the meal. So the thought leading to the decision There's nothing there. There's no no, no barrier. When I have the thought, it would always lead to a decision. When I've made the decision, there's nothing. Nothing in this world that will stop me going to the action. And the action is of taking the first drink. So I've been able, in Alcoholics Anonymous over the years, to put a barrier between the thought and the decision. I never go to the decision. I never make a decision to have a drink. Yeah, I can have some thought now and then, but I never make the decision. If I make the decision, I'm as good as gone, because the decision will always lead to an action. And the guys in AA and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has, has enabled me to put in a sufficient substitute. And this, the substitute that I have is the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. The practice and teachings of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous a book, you can call it the Bible, the big book, um, it's called the Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous Basic Text. first 164 pages of that book will explain and tell the reader precisely how to recover. Not you may recover precisely. It's hard to do it on your own. So if I was left to my own devices when I came into AA, I would have bought the book and I would have read there's a chapter in apple wives and a chapter to the family afterwards and to employees. And I wouldn't have read those chapters because I just they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been poignant to my to me to me. I, I don't see the point in reading that because it's not going to help me. But I had to get another guy in AA, and he's called a sponsor. Just a guy who's gone before me, who's done the twelve step program, who's got an understanding of the book. He's doing what he says he's doing as a home group. Goes to AA, and um, I was drawn to a guy and I asked him to help me out. And he started to take me through the basic facts, the first 164 pages, and through the step process. If I'd done it on my own, I'm the sort of guy that would have gone, "Well, I don't want to do step nine or four, so I'll, I'll leave them out." But to be accountable to another alcoholic, you can see through my rubbish and the crap that I can put out. It's what I've always needed uh, since I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the craving to drink left me pretty quick. It we was talking three weeks. The craving had gone, so I wasn't having that physical craving. I wasn't waking up and thinking, I need a drink or I'm thirsty. And I got to change some of the things. I got me drink water and started drinking coffee, and I was eating loads of sweets. So I needed a response to so it after a couple of weeks. I think, I think I'm a diabetic. He said, "Well, why is that?" I said, well, I can't stop eating sweets." And he said, "No, it's just your body craving sugar, I and mean, eating a packet of sweets isn't going to get you. arrested or end up in prison or hospital, so just keep doing what you're doing." And um, and that's why, we, see, alcoholics, we know what it's like to be in active alcoholism. We know all the tricks in the trade. We know the little schemes and scams. And, uh, you know, I take on a guy to sponsor him or to help him through the steps. I can see through the rubbish at times. It is, it, I can't make it to a meeting on me I'm because I'm doing this. And I'm like, well, it wouldn't work for me. You know, you could get to your meetings and you know, keep, just keep pressing on me as step four. And, and we're there to encourage uh, from a place of love. And we help. Um, there's a there's a, there's a, um, a statement in Alcoholics Anonymous that says, when anyone, anywhere reaches out to help. I want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, I am responsible. It's a responsibility statement. And I was gifted sobriety when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous by the people who went before me and they took their time and they invested their trust in me. And I invested my trust in Alcoholics Anonymous. And through that, um, today I need a fruitful life. And what I need to keep doing is paying it forward I have to keep um, helping the new man who comes through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous and and I can't do that if I'm not going to meetings Uh, um, so just a bit of a outline of where we are at today Um, we're encouraged to be in service in Alcoholics Anonymous we're we're a non-for-profit organisation our members um, all are active in different levels and different parts of service within AA. It can be in the prison or treatment or public information. Um, the decisions in Alcoholics Anonymous are made from the members and not from the, any hierarchy. And that this year, um, we, we couldn't see the, the, the pandemic coming our way, but it suddenly hit. And we've got um we got a couple hundred thousand members of Alcoholics Anonymous in Australia were suddenly told, sorry, but you can't go to the meeting venues anymore and you know the, the membership of AA rallied around, we went online, we started using Zoom Zoom platforms and at any time of the day or night at the moment you can go on to a Zoom meeting anywhere in the world and, and, and attend to be part of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And you know, I know people who, um, who've who got sober solely on Zoom meetings, still to go and attend, attend a face-to-face meeting um, in America. And there's um, members down in Victoria sober on Zoom meetings who are now going to their first meetings and their experience, I'll call it synonymous, the see the, the fellowship, uh, face-to-face, and it's just amazing. Um, just a couple of facts before I finish. Um I really do like the fact of AA, that in our brief history, um, in our brief 80-year uh, history of Alcoholics Anonymous worldwide, we have saved more lives than anything known in the history of mankind. It's a big statement, but it's a big fact. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, we're in the business of saving lives. That's what we do. Um, anybody is welcome to come up and attend an AA meeting and AA meetings all over the place. Uh, My meetings are Wednesday night at um, St. Saviour's Church in Glen Osmond. Um, All are welcome. Everybody is welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. The only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. That's that's all you need. And it may not be for you. You may come along and think, I don't need to do all this stuff and you can stay sober without it, which is great. We encourage that. But if you're a real alcoholic, like uh, written about in the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and like myself, the real alcoholic, you need a sufficient substitute. That is the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, the practice and teaching of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, a 12 step program that I've into my life. It's there. I do it. I do what needs to be done through the step process every day. I've got a God in my life today that I'm reliant on that allows me to live relatively comfortable in my own skin. And if I'm not doing this stuff, I get agitated, irritable, and people around me start to suffer. And so we're not perfect. We have a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition.
0: And with that, I'd like to wish everybody a happy Christmas. Thank you very much. Welcome back. We have a number of local uh, meetings in the area. There's a meeting every night in the Salisbury area. There's one Monday night meeting at Gawler at 8pm. Tuesday, Elizabeth East at 8pm. Wednesday, Elizabeth East at 8pm. Thursday, at Two Wells at 8pm. Friday in Salisbury at 8pm. Saturday at Tavron Park at 12 o'clock. Sunday in Salisbury at 7pm. And for further details of your local meetings, please call 1300 22 22 22 22. Once again, it's up to anyone you know struggling with the alcohol issues, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 double-2-double two or check out their website at a.org.au. I don't want to be the girl that the loudest the girl who never wants to be alone I don't want to be that kind at four o'clock in the morning Cause I'm the only one you know in the world that won't be home The uh, uh, sun is blinding That's not the way I want my story